I'd like to start out with a quick, quick story this morning. I first heard it a couple months ago from Brother Jeff McFadden in Dallas, and I want to start by telling you that story. In the mid-1800s, there was a chemist and an inventor that had made many different things regarding chemistry and explosives. This young man worked underneath Escanio Sobrero. And if you don't know who Escanio Sobrero is, he is the inventor of nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin is a highly reactive compound that when just touched or jolted can cause a huge explosion. The young man in our story began working underneath this chemist, underneath Escanio Sobrero, to begin developing his own creation. He used the nitroglycerin to change the chemical composition to make it more stable. To make this compound more stable, he created a paste, which was also highly explosive but stable. He termed this new compound dynamite, which is French for power. Obviously, we all know what dynamite is. We all know the destructive power of dynamite. So to no one's surprise, it began to be used in war. Dynamite began to be used in weapons of mass destruction, changing the world of warfare and shifting the power to those who held the valuable compound. Dynamite could kill faster, stronger, and more powerful than any other explosive ever before. When discussing dynamite, the man on the screen said this, my factories may well put an end to war before your congresses. For on the day that two armies are capable of destroying each other in a second, all civilized nations will surely recoil before war and dismiss their troops. This man obviously went on to create more powerful explosions and more military-grade weapons, created rockets, the precursors to modern-day missiles, and further developed cannon technology. This man was personally responsible for the developments that led to the deaths of thousands of young men, men with families, men with wives, and men with young children. You see, this man dealt in death. In 1888, the man on the screen woke up one morning to read the daily newspaper, seeing an obituary of himself. The headline said, Le Merchant de la Mort, S. Mort. That is to mean the merchant of death is dead. What a scary thought. The article went on to say the man who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before died yesterday. You see, the newspaper made a mistake. The man's brother had died, but the man in our story was given a rare opportunity, an opportunity to see his life and to view his life through another person's eyes and see just how he would be remembered. For a second this morning, I want you to think about this story. I want you to think about the man and what happened to him and ask yourself, if this happened to me, if they wrote an obituary of me today, what would it say? Some of us probably can't even fathom the thought. Some of us may be thinking, well, it would talk about my career. It would talk about how successful I was. It would talk about how much money I made, maybe what I accomplished and so on. Maybe your obituary would discuss where you lived, who your family was, who you were associated with. Maybe your obituary discusses all the good you did in life. Maybe all the donations you made, all the people that you've helped. When thinking about this story and when asking myself, if I died right now, what would my obituary say? My first thoughts were, well, maybe it would talk about everything I've done so far. 
Maybe it would talk about what I'm doing in the present. Maybe it would talk about how I'm an Aggie. Maybe it would talk about the things I did in grade school and what I've been involved with at A&M. Shortly after that thought, I was driving somewhere, and a popular Christian song came on the radio in my car, and it was called Life Song by Casting Crowns. The lyrics to that song said this, Empty hands held high, such small sacrifice. Now joined with my life, I sing in vain tonight. May the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing, bring a smile to you. Let my life song sing to you. I want to sign your name to the end of this day. Lord, let my heart was true. Let my life song sing to you. Lord, I give my life a living sacrifice to reach a world in need to be your hands and your feet. So may the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing, bring a smile to you. Let my life song sing to you. I want to sign your name to the end of this day. Lord, let my heart was true. Let my life song sing to you. This morning, I want you to ask, ask yourself and take a look at your life and ask, does my life sing a song of praise to Christ? Is everything I do in my life done to bring glory to Christ? Do I go through my life always asking how I can please and how I can worship and surrender to my almighty heavenly father? To give us a theme passage for this morning, if you'd like to look on the board or turn along with me, we're going to be in the book of Colossians, the third chapter. We're going to read a majority of this chapter this morning. Starting in verse 1, Colossians, the third chapter, reads this. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which thing, which thing's sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, nor circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and the Father by him. This morning, while the passage will, will encompass our entire study, I want to focus specifically on a passage here in verse 4 when it says, When Christ who is our life, and talk about what it means to have our life song sing a song of praise to Christ. Starting out, I'd like to identify some of the key things I look for in a good song. And I know I'm probably not the best pick 
to define what makes a good song, especially here. I'm reminded of it every time we start singing. Um, but uh, we're going to look at three things that make a good song. Number one, a good song has to have a good rhythm and a good beat. You see, rhythms and beats drive a song. They give a song energy. Rhythm and beat are what give the song a backbone and define where the song goes and what the passion truly is. Number two, on the board, a good song has to have a theme. All songwriters write their songs with intent. They write their songs with purpose. I believe that every song ever written had a purpose, a theme, a story, a concept, whatever word you want to put there. Sometimes being an impactful message that changes the listener in a positive way and sometimes in a more negative way. Lastly, I believe every song should have a memorable ending. Every song should have an ending that makes an impact, that perfect close to a good song that makes the whole thing worth listening to. A good ending is one that concludes the whole message, not only by leaving an impact, but tying the entire message back to the meaning of the song. I believe that if you apply these three concepts in your life today, and these three general ideas are present in your Christian walk, your life is singing a song of praise to Christ this morning. Number one, as I stated, every song has to have a good rhythm and a good beat. It needs direction and it needs passion. So in your Christian walk this morning, I want you to ask yourself, what is my passion? What drives me? You see, passion drives everything in life. It drives all great theatrics, all great sports, all of your careers. Passion is what wakes you up in the morning. Passion is what makes the things that seem impossible achievable. When I ask you this morning what your passion in life is, what's your answer? What's your beat in life? What drives your life? Some may say, well, I'm a, I'm a singer. I'm a construction manager, financial advisor, doctor, lawyer, whatever your career is. Some may say, I'm a mother. I'm a father, a grandmother, grandmother. But how many of us took an honest look at our lives and when questioning ourselves what our passion truly is, immediately said, my passion is Christ. My passion is spreading the word of God. My passion is teaching, learning, striving after and seeking the truth. My passion is sharing the message of the saving love of Christ to lost and hurting souls. Matthew 22, starting in verse 37, reads this. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, when I think of passion, and I think of the driving force in our life, this is the beat, and this is the rhythm that we should have. This passage states with all of your heart, not half of it, not some of it, not a quarter of it, but all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is what it means to be fully committed and fully devoted to Christ. This state discussed here is a longing and an overwhelming passion for following Christ. When in this state of devotion, it hurts to fall short. You get mad at yourself when sin creeps in. You become disgusted when you fall short of his glory. I believe oftentimes as Christians we have this idea and we get caught up in, in the worldly things around us and forget what our passion and our purpose here on earth. Our lives move from lives devoted to Christ. Our lives move from longing and seeking the truth 
and trusting in the word of God to falling into sin and giving into temptation. You see, we begin to become complacent. We let sin settle in in our lives and we become satisfied. You know, I remember when I was in high school, my parents were, were both really into sports. They loved to watch me play football. They loved to watch my sister run cross country, but they also loved to, be, loved to see us be successful in school and in sports. One thing my parents always did was push me to be the most successful person I could be in everything I do. Whether that's in academics, athletics, or in my Christian walk, they always push me to success. One idea my dad always pushed and, and always tried to make me understand was to never be satisfied, never become complacent. I don't know that he ever put it exactly that way, but that's what he meant. I got a test back a few weeks ago, and I received a, a relatively high A. And of course, my mom calls me and tells me congratulations and that she's proud of me. And then my dad gets on the phone, and first thing he says is why I missed something. Asked me why I didn't study harder, how I could have prepared better, and what I needed to do to perform better next time. Of course, he was partly joking with me, but on the other hand, the meaning behind those questions actually matter. It's a strive for perfection in everything we do in life that has to be there for us to be successful. You see, the less satisfied we are with how we serve our God, the less satisfied we are in our Christian walk, the less satisfied we are in our personal Bible study, and the more we try to be perfect and Christ-like in everything we do, our Christian walk will become easier, more passionate, and more dedicated and committed to serving Christ. Another part of our passion that we should always have as Christians is the passion to share the saving news of Christ with other people. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this specific topic, but this idea of sharing this news is the same idea as being an evangelical Christian or an evangelical church discussed a few weeks ago. Mark 16, verse 15 and 16 says this, And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. You see, when we discuss our passion and our drive in this life, it doesn't just stop with following Christ. While that is a very major part of it that I'm not trying to downplay this morning, it also includes leading other people to Christ. We are taught and commanded to share the gospel with every creature. That includes every single person you come into contact with. Our coworkers, peers, classmates, family, every single person. I believe as Christians we fall into this idea that we have this power or we have this knowledge or wisdom to know who will obey the gospel. We think we have the knowledge to know who will come to church and who will fit in with our members. You see, we have a predisposed bias that a person who has the ability to understand or the, the ability to respond to the gospel call and change their life looks like this. Or even worse, they're of this socioeconomic status. Or they behave like this. We judge people based on their looks, based on their actions, speech, word choice, clothing. You can fill in the blank. And we forget that we were once in the exact same spot, lost in need of a savior. We judge based on these and don't see what we're supposed to see. A lost soul that needs Christ. A lost human that needs hope and that needs salvation. A person just like you and I that had the same potential you and I have. The potential to accept the gift that God freely gave all of us. The gift of his son and the gift of salvation. 
one of the greatest indicators that your life is singing a song of praise to Christ is your dedication and your passion to serving Christ, as well as sharing that news with others. Next, I believe that every good song ever written has a theme or a message that it is trying to portray. When you think of music out in today's society, what do you think of? You might think of all the new songs that have been made, maybe by Christian artists or a cappella artists. You might think of Casting Crowns or Mercy Me, or maybe you think of some of the country artists. You might also think of all the new rap or hip-hop artists and all the negative ideas they push out in today's world. You see, all songs have a theme or a message, something they want the listener to understand by listening to that song, something they want to portray and to have that listener agree with. When you look at the theme in your life and you consider your life song this morning, what do you want others to understand when they look at your life? When people look at me, do they say, that's Ethan, he's an Aggie, or that's Ethan, he's from Forney? Or do they say, that's Ethan, a servant in God's kingdom? You see, there's a difference between the passion and drive in a song and the theme of a song. The writer can have passion behind writing a song, but tweak the meaning or leave that meaning up for interpretation. My passion in this life can be Jesus. I can say my passion is to follow the word of God. I can claim my passion is to spread the love of Christ. But what does my life show? What does your life convey to the watcher? What do your peers think? What does your family think? Do your friends even know you go to church? Do people even know that you're a Christian? All too often, we have this idea as Christians that we can lead two separate lives with no consequences. We can be one person starting at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, but any other time, it doesn't really matter. We try to mold our reputation and maintain statuses. And then when we leave this place, we go back to leading a life that does not represent Christ. We go back to a life of sin, driving a boundary between what our church family sees and what our friends see which is wrong and hypocritical. Matthew 15, starting in verse 3, reads this. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say this to his father or mother, it is a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well does Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You can see in this passage on the screen that the Jewish leaders of this day were far too focused on tradition than following the commandments of God. The leaders questioned Jesus and the disciples about their concern for elderly tradition. This passage plainly states that these men were not concerned with obeying God, but simply did things for tradition and simply did things to please man. Jesus goes on there in verse 7 on the screen and quoting Isaiah, calls them hypocrites, saying they honoreth them with their lips and draw near with their mouths, but their heart is not in the worship. He's saying these men are worshiping in vain. These men don't actually care about following the commandments of God. They just care about the status. They care about the doctrine and tradition of men's 
and care about looking pleasing and looking reputable to man and not pleasing to God. Does this passage describe you this morning? Are you here to worship in spirit and in truth, giving all you have to your God? Or did you wake up this morning and say, well, if I don't go, so-and-so will know I'm gone. If I don't go, my parents will get mad, or so-and-so will call me asking where I was. You can fill in the excuse. You see, being a Christian is not confined to these four walls. Our life should always show what it is and what it means to follow Christ. Our life should show the power of Christ all the time, not just two days a week. Our light should always be shining. Matthew 5, starting verse 11, reads this. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city on, that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. You see, when I think of the theme, and I think of our life, this is what we want our life and our life song to be. We should strive to represent Christ in everything we do. That means our life is an example to our children, our peers, our spouses, parents, family, friends, and anyone else. Every choice we make in this life has an impact, even the insignificant ones. From the clothes we wear, to the friends we hang out with, to the movies we watch, and the songs we listen to. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You see, we're always to be an example. If someone were to look at you on an average day, assuming they have no idea what Christianity is, they have no idea who Christ is, what would they say it means to be a Christian? Would they understand the importance of Christ's sacrifice? Would they understand and know the importance of studying the Word of God? Or would they say being a Christian is waking up on Sunday morning and driving to a building to say hi to others? You see, our light should always be shining. And we should strive to be that light in the dark world around us. And if it is, I believe your life song is singing a song of praise to Christ this morning. Lastly, every good song needs a good ending. Every good song needs an impactful ending that gives you something to remember it by and makes an impact on the listener. When we consider our lives this morning, some of us may be closer to the end than others. Some of us may have a long way to go till that point, but the truth is none of us actually know. But we do know what's waiting for us. You know, I remember a few years ago, specifically in 2012, we had just lost my, my papa, Gerald Hanley, and my family was going through a rough time. My Uncle Chad was diagnosed with colon cancer at the age of 33, which was a very troubling time. It was very tough news for my family, but we knew Chad was a fighter, and Chad would make it through. His cancer went into remission, but unfortunately returned a couple years later. Of course, him and my, my, his wife, my Aunt Valerie, decided to attack the second round of cancer full force in hopes of defeating it a second time. 
the cancer begin to progress once again, and unfortunately this time it was much more aggressive. I specifically remember going to singing school there at La Prada. It was a Sunday, or it was a mo Monday morning singing instruction, and, and Leland was doing our instruction, and he asked me to lead the first song that morning. And halfway through that first song, I was leading it, and I see my dad walking from the back of the church. He motions for me to come to the back and go talk to him. I, I went back and, and went into the conference room where my mom, my, my Mimi, and my sister were already sitting there visibly upset and crying. My dad grabbed his chair and, and sat down and told us that Chad had taken a turn for the worse and that the doctors told him the chemo and radiation were not working. A few weeks after that point, he was finally placed on hospice where he would spend the next few days of his life, the last days of his life. I went into the room to see him for the last time with my sister and my mom. We gave him hugs and we told him that we loved him and he told us that he loved us. And I remember after, after exchanging that, I was, I was crying on my Aunt Valerie's shoulder. I was very upset. And I remember turning around and seeing my dad holding his baby brother's hand for the last time. And he looked at him and said, Chad, I'm so proud of you. At the time, I didn't know exactly what to think. I didn't know exactly what he was proud of him for. Was he proud of the way that he fought cancer? Proud of him for the life that he led and the example that he left for his boys? I'm sure he was, and I'm sure he meant every bit of that when he said, I'm proud of you. But he also meant much more that I'm blessed to understand the full meaning of today. You see, he was proud of the life that he lived and the life that he committed to Christ. He was proud of the Christian father, the Christian uncle, the Christian son, and the Christian leader that he was. He was proud of the decisions that he had made in life. And he was proud of the confidence that he had when staring death in the face. You see, that confidence in death and that confidence in salvation is what we need to have as Christians. It's that confidence that will ease your Christian walk. It's that trust in salvation and that confidence in salvation that will let your life song sing to Christ. John 14, starting in verse 1, says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. 1 John 2, starting in verse 27, says this, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that, it is, that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. You see, as Christians, we have a hope that no one else can fathom. We have a hope that we will live for eternity in heaven, praising and worshiping our Lord and Savior and our God. Our life song is something that needs to resemble Christ and sing to Christ throughout our time here on earth. Even though we've discussed how all songs have to have a good ending, the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that our life song doesn't ever have to end. Your life will always be dedicated to Christ. Everything we do leads us to the end goal of reaching heaven to spend all eternity with our Lord. That perfect close to a song. 
This morning we've discussed three important points to a good song and what it means to us in our Christian walk. But maybe you're sitting there this morning and thinking, my life song isn't singing to Christ. My life is falling apart. I'm trapped in sin. I'm stuck and I can't get out of it. The beautiful thing is, is that you can change your life song at any moment. I open this morning by telling you a story of a man who worked on nitroglycerin, which led to thousands of deaths. This man sees an obituary and the negative things the world said about him. He saw his purpose and what his life meant to those around him and decided to change. That man went on to donate millions of dollars to charity and much more funding research for medical technology and so on. He gave his fortune to a foundation he created that would recognize scientists dedicated to maintaining peace across nations and helping mankind. You probably know this foundation as the Nobel Peace Prize. You see, Alfred Nobel had a rare opportunity to see what the world portrayed his life as. He saw what he had accomplished in his life and what his passion was and decided to make a change for the better. And just like Alfred Nobel, you can decide to change this morning. 